0: Uh, I like your Twitter page. Got some nice stuff on your Twitter page. It's looking good on your Twitter page. Lots of writing on your Twitter page. I saw your tweet last night. Love the way it looks on your Twitter page. I saw your tweet this afternoon. Love the way it looks on your Twitter page. Uh,
1: Hello and welcome. Really You are listening to to the Hustle Points NBA show. I I recently cut my own hair, hair, Rudy St. Clair, and today we're joined by Chris Hessian, the only Bulls fan I know that is not named Jacob. How are you doing today, Chris?
2: I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing excellent.
1: So I brought you on today to talk about the transition in the front office for Chicago. Why don't you give us a little bit of background on yourself as a Bulls fan and uh, kind of sprinkling whatever flavor regarding the front office regime during that story where you can for me, please.
2: All right. So I grew up in the Chicago area and I was born in 87. So myself and a lot of people who were born right around my time remember basketball At the same time, I've heard so many people tell the same story. So we all remember the 93 NBA finals. And that being like our some of our first memories of basketball. So to recap, the 93 finals it's the Bulls third in a row. John Paxson hits the game winning shot with less than five seconds left in game six three-point shot huge shot you know to me at the time I remember this like it was yesterday it was such a big deal to me and they win and then Jordan retires shortly afterwards and that was like the saddest day of my seven-year-old life and then we had to wait a couple years for him to come back which was you know just amazing but then after the second three-peat goes through, everything is so far downhill right away. So I remember going to a Bulls game. I went to Bulls games when Jordan was on the team, and that was special. But then I remember going to a game about two years after, maybe like 2000, 2001, and the place was empty. I got to go and sit in a luxury box because apparently that's just not, that was not a premium thing at the time. So. <laughs> it was fun but I don't even remember the game because it didn't matter so much like a lot of other people I still watch the NBA and I was a big fan but the Bulls were not important and then things come around where you know they get the number one lottery pick and all of a sudden it's back on we've got an exciting thing to follow we've got Derek Rose And I'm sure you know the story since then about what's going on with the Bulls. John Paxson, who was a huge, important person to me because I'm a short white kid. And he, short white man, who hit this huge shot in one of the first basketball games I can remember watching. And now he is like no longer a Bulls legend. He is now like public enemy number one. So finally, I suppose not
1: so much anymore until he's been fired, but
2: in my mind, he's still, he's still public enemy (laughs) number one. So we obviously contributed
1: to that billboard, right?
2: Yes, I actually (laughs) contributed money to the billboard and there's a story, you know, the first billboard, not the more recent one. I don't know how that came together, but the first one was organized on Reddit and It was right after the Jimmy Butler trade, which for the record, I didn't hate the Jimmy Butler trade. So I wasn't mad about that. I was already mad for years. So it wasn't like that. I think that triggered a lot of people. But for me, I was already mad. I didn't care. And we did that and we had a lot of momentum riding with that. A lot of celebrities contributed to that billboard. Like that was a big thing. And then that just kind of went away as soon as the season started and everybody was like, Oh, Lowry Merkin might be kind of good at basketball. All is forgiven, you know, just like that went away so fast. And I don't think that's the case for people, maybe my age, but maybe people younger than me who have had less time around this organization. I think a lot of people became fans and rightfully so when Derek Rose was on the team.
1: Right, like that seems like two easily distinguishable eras of Bulls fandom is a wave of Michael fans and then a smaller and less significant wave of Derrick Rose fans who are a lot more localized, I would say, a lot more hyper focused on being Bulls fans rather than being taken away by one of the three most famous people on earth during the 90s, right? You know, it's a different scale of fandom, but still Derek Rose is phenomenal or was at least.
2: I mean, that was so fun. Like I, that was so fun, but I get how people who are not so jaded by this whole thing because their first memory of the team was really good. And then, you know, they kind of fell off, but slowly it was a pretty slow descent. So I can understand how people don't have the same kind of, anger about this that I've had, I can completely understand it. If you only suffered through three bad years, uh, instead of 14, you know, it's different. It's different. (laughs) So I get it. Like I get that a lot of people weren't ready. They weren't so mad. And, that's just because they didn't have as much perspective on this. A lot of people don't even. I feel like I still sometimes educate people on what happened before Derrick Rose, and it has been. John Paxson has been the head guy since two thousand three, and before that, it was Jerry Krause for eighteen years. So this, you know, Jerry, when Jerry Reinsdorf bought this team in nineteen eighty five. They had just drafted Michael Jordan. They've made Jerry Krause, who already worked for the Bulls, into the general manager. And, you know, that worked out really well. So he was the general manager all the way through until 2003. They made John Paxson the vice president. And up until a couple of days ago, that's how it was. And in right. 2003, so the Bulls have
1: always had this internal league. Uh, carry structure like people have always been promoted from within that's what makes the most recent news so uh extraordinary to a lot of people especially is that these hiring from the outside and uh right this is historic maybe he's going to actually be hands off for once right i remember i was talking to you earlier and uh one of the things you said was something along the lines of i've heard this before you know where we brought in gar in the first place to allow PAX to, so. excuse me, We brought in PAX to allow Gar to sort of back off, you know, be a little bit more hands-off. But that's, that's not even true. He wasn't even brought in, right? He was uh, promoted. Right. And right. You had to write promote the first someone, time. It's different.
2: Yeah, they just brought Gar Foreman, who now they're saying is going to go back to being a scout because he was a scout for the team for a long time. And then John Paxson, I guess he got tired of doing the job. Like, that's the only way that I can figure out what's going on because management or the ownership, sorry, the ownership, it, he has the longest leech. So the only way they would have made Gar Foreman in the GM and like actually switch something up is if Paxson himself, was like, man, I'm tired of this. And then they just didn't let him quit. They instead, you know, brought Gar up and we're like, all right, Gar's the lead guy now. But the truth is, it never really changed. It was just like adding another voice, somebody who was already kind of on the payroll. They didn't have to pay him a lot. And that's common things. They just don't. They're really cheap. And that goes way back. This is not like I'm just speculating here. This is Jerry Reinsdorf's entire thing is he's a good businessman. He doesn't give a shit about basketball. So that's you know part of why fans have such animosity towards this because it's like he fell into this Michael Jordan thing, and he was a good businessman, but he hired someone who was willing to be a basketball hard ass in Jerry Krause, and now we're to the point where he just doesn't care about the Bulls, and you know you might not know, but Jerry Reinsdorf owns the Chicago White Sox, so mm-hmm. right there's a lot of parallels, but he actually cares about the white Sox. It doesn't mean that he runs the white Sox very well, but he is not shy about the fact that he cares about that more.
1: Right. And you don't exactly want to be the, uh, the lesser child, right? You don't want to be the, the sibling who doesn't get most of the love, you know, especially when it's a competitive setting and you have a, another 29 families you're competing against. Yeah. (laughs) And when that money spent on you,
2: Right, and especially a guy who doesn't want to spend a lot of money now you're asking him to pay executives, so when he hires somebody, it's generally somebody that he knows, and it's somebody who's going to do it for not a too much money and I don't know how much they pay the guys now. I don't, but they have very few people who work for the Bulls in the front office. It's been a small operation for a long time now, and the Talk right now is that that's going to change.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I've been reading as well. Uh, at first, I saw some criticism for the hire of, and I hope I'm pronouncing it right because I've heard it said, and I, I have no excuse not to pronounce it right. But Arturas Karnasovas, I think is yeah, the right
2: Yeah, is what I've heard. I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah.
1: I'm going to call him Art out of sure. ignorance and one art day I'll, I'll, I'll move on <laughs> okay yeah uh so I, so I saw some criticism of the the hire of art because uh the chicago bulls front office has been historically very white very undiverse very small a uh. uh, very family business right and uh these large markets uh sort of have the ability to be able to pull that off they have more leverage in negotiations with players being able to say, hey, you come sign here and you can make a few million dollars more uh, where we're not paying it to you, but you can definitely make it. And you can pull off being slightly more inept. Look at the Lakers, look at the Knicks. They can still manage to convince literally anybody to come there, maybe not so much the Knicks. They obviously flopped hard both with LeBron and with uh, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving uh, Mm -hmm. 10 years apart. James Dolan is a toxic owner. Uh, the bus family was a decent family business as far as like ownership goes up until the, the doctor bus died. And then mm-hmm. everyone knows what happens after that. Lakers sort of fell apart. Now they're sort of re- rebuilding a little bit more. The, the evaluation on, on Genie as a head owner is not, uh, one which can be evaluated fairly cause it really hasn't been enough time. Uh, But in Chicago, which would I would say is like the non-coastal elite market in the NBA, right? Uh, Right. They they seem like they are going to be the one of the three who is going to move on from this family business approach based on these hirings. Because they're finally going from outside. They've expressed a desire to create a large, hyper-specialized team Reminds me a lot of what the Clippers were doing when Steve Ballmer immediately took over ownership and got pretty much everyone but Doc Rivers out and brought in a bunch of better people. Uh, it, it feels reminiscent of that in terms of just sort of vibe, except there has been no massive
2: ownership change. That's, so that's the issue that I have here with this is I've been, I, I've been fooled before. And all the information that is coming out about this comes from the same source. So it's hard to say what's actually going on. They haven't, you know, officially done anything. I think they've said they've hired Karnasovis, but they haven't had like any formal press conference, nothing like that. I know that that's hard to do in the world right now. But Paxson, the whole thing, we bought a billboard that said FireGarpax. The billboard did not say... Lesser role for Gar packs. You know, it didn't say that. We did. We were pretty fucking clear on what we were asking for. Right. Right. So uh, it seems to me like this is a half measure, and I'm not satisfied. But I, I'm hopeful. But I'm not satisfied. I'm. I asked for one thing, and we all very clearly asked for it. And you know what? It'd be a lot easier to do it it'd just be easier to fire them. I don't see why it seems like that is such a home run move like that. If they had done that, it would have been a home run, like a thousand percent approval rating for a move like that. And instead they hire more people and they had John Paxson on the interviews. Like they actually had John Paxson and Michael Reinsdorf, Jerry's son interview all these people. So it's baked in that John is still in the organization. If he's interviewing these guys, it's baked in that, hey, you're taking this job and he's going to be here.
1: Yeah, I suppose you are right. Uh, Him being there, taking the interviews with uh, whoever else is involved is definitely a bit off to me because uh, I was definitely disappointed when Chris Wallace was demoted at the end of the season last year from general manager back down to mere scouting uh, for the Grizzlies. As Chris Wallace has been a historically shitty and just inept war- <laughs> fucking general manager. I cannot stand Chris Wallace. I can't even start. Okay. But that being said, since he's been demoted, we have been absolutely excellent and I don't really smell his influence anywhere. Uh, okay. We, we've we drafted, I mean, given his work in the scouting department is not really a one to credit towards the 2019 draft class because he was only really a part of it for part of the offseason right before the draft. Not a lot of scouting work gets done during that time frame, I imagine. I, I imagine some work gets done for sure, lots of final decisions, but. It's not like he was in the dirt all year round out there scouting. But still, right. we did draft John Brandon Clark, really turned this franchise around. And I don't get the feeling that there's Chris Wallace getting his fingers dirty in uh, whatever's going on in uh, the Grizzlies front office. Uh, well, I like have to a- joke and say that Chris Wallace was demoted and not fired because he has some sort of dirt on ownership or someone else, you know, just some sort of political uh, nonsense, some bureaucratic bullshit. Uh, That being said, the Bulls front office situation seems prime for some bureaucratic bullshit, blackmail, nonsense to be involved in, which the public will never know about, which keeps John Paxson on the payroll. But
2: maybe he's just going to be chilling It's hard to say, man, but here's it's hard to say because he he actually started this. And that's going back to they said that he has been the driving force behind this whole entire thing because the ownership still loves John Paxson. So that means that if he hadn't said something, they were just going to let this keep going, apparently, which is insulting to me as a fan. And also we have a problem with the the Chicago White Sox are parallel to this and the Chicago White Sox were run by a man named Kenny Williams for a long, 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 long time. And everyone wanted Kenny Williams gone. So what did they do? They moved Kenny Williams off to the side and they brought in a GM who got to bring, I mean, this is like the same kind of situation. However, mm-hmm. Every time something happens that's questionable with the White Sox, there's a lot of, was that a Kenny decision or was that Rick decision? So there's like this, there's always going to be the question. You know, who did, who made that decision? It's like, we don't need that. That's not how sports teams usually are supposed to operate. Now, all I've been asking for, for the longest time here is can't they just be normal? Just, just do something that like is normal because they never do and they never have my whole life. Couldn't we just have like standard fire somebody, bring somebody new in? It's just how it works. Like I thought that's standard procedure.
1: Yeah, and I suppose you are right. It it is probably more standard procedure in most businesses to fire people before you demote them, or for a rather for someone to step forward and say, "Hey." I'm willing to let you shadow fire me, but I'm I'm still going to be on the payroll and be involved in all the decisions and who we hire and this that and the other. Like that's not traditional business. That's that's really it, something it that it could only happen. It it sounds like bad
2: business when the person who's doing that is bad at their job. Like if you're bad if he's bad at his job, just fire him, man. He's proven to be bad at it and John Paxton's not only bad at this, but he's gotten worse.
1: Regardless, it's a uh, A situation that is definitely tricky. I would like to think that having Paxson involved still kind of gives art and whoever else is brought in an excuse to, uh, or excuse me, not an excuse, but a scapegoat. You know, someone to blame for all the mistakes. Like, should Laurie Markinen not pan out, you can blame Paxson shadow controlling the scouting department and choosing him over whoever else was available at that slot and the Jimmy Butler trade and this, that, and the other. When if he wasn't there, you might instead blame art and the team, uh, excuse me, the player development department for not fleshing out Laurie's talents. You can still focus on Paxson as a negative and give the guys who are uh, experts at what they do more so than Paxson, uh, the, the guys that they're bringing in who are supposed to be better than him. Uh, let them do their job without the scrutiny of the Chicago public, right? Like maybe Paxson is just there to be a punching bag. I, I, that's the most charitable interpretation I could imagine. I mean, I really just, that's the whole idea, is that maybe, just maybe, he's only there to be a figurehead punching bag where for the next, let's just call it three to five years, uh, let's say Lori Markinen doesn't develop. Mm-hmm. It's gonna be a lot easier for Chicago to think about the Jimmy Butler trade and to blame Paxson for drafting Laurie instead of whoever else was available. And just to focus on John Paxson in general, rather than have the entire Chicago media and fan base scrutinizing art and whoever else is beneath him
2: uh filling out that that uh well, we could that do that front
1: office roster.
2: We could yeah. do that with John sitting at home, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. I just think that having someone there is a this is like me just trying to be charitable for the sake of it. I'm I'm with you, make no mistake. Okay. But I just think it could possibly work out in the sense that Chicago still has Paxson, still has like the the same scapegoat they're used to. But now The amount of discretion and decision making that's happening is going to be more hyper focused and have a more diverse and dynamic front office uh, who is going to be a lot less easy to blame. You know, it's a lot harder to put blame on the front office when it's a conglomerate of 20 guys rather than uh, merely a little family operation, which is all still tied to ownership. Like, a, like the family business thing is, is fine and good to an extent, but I think one of the best things that is produced out of it is the ability to just have a face and a name to blame for failure,
2: right? Right, I but I think Jovis is going to be that guy. He's the executive VP or whatever, right? I mean, he's going to be that guy, but if there's any question about what Paxson is involved in. See, this, this whole move, if they fired John Paxson, they would have bought themselves and they probably already have bought themselves a lot of time. So there's going to be a honeymoon period here where nobody says shit.
1: Yeah. Everyone seems very, very, very eclectically happy about this. Uh, it's, it seems like the consensus among Bulls fandom, at least online, it's like people are celebrating that GARPAX is being less involved in, in, in the front office operation now. I right. mean, the, uh, the Michael guy whose name is lost to me starts with the R. God, I'm, I'm awful for losing it already. Um, Jesus. But I, I saw something where he was talking about how the intention going forward is to have a large and versatile front office staff. And I think like the concentration of power is where evil or bad decisions uh, are the most significant, right? Like it matters a lot if a dictator makes a bad decision, but if a bureaucrat makes a bad decision, there's an entire network of discretion to prevent that decision from having too much fallout. I think designing that sort of network in the front office right now is something that's going to be very, very valuable. And if they make it big enough and in a wise enough hierarchy, uh, I think the influence of ownership and John Paxson and all of the negative evil forces in the Bulls front office might not matter so much. Uh, It just requires ownership to go all in on building a large front office group
2: yeah it requires them you know and that's very true i agree with you but it doesn't help to have idiots there when you already have proven forever that they're idiots but also that uh, having a larger front office is going to require them not just to it sounds like they're talking the right game on this right now so it's going to require them though not just to hire more people but pay all these people and that's where i become a little skeptical like are they really gonna pay a lot of people without firing everybody right now because the Bulls have really deep issues here where it's not just John Paxson or Gar Foreman like the Bulls you know the Bulls players get hurt every year why there's got to be something going on here that you know they blame Thibodeau for it and then it kept going after that it's like there's they I don't know if it's their training staff they must have a bad training staff they gotta let Karnaschovas come in here and do everything they really need to give him power to hire smart people and fire dumb people but the way they could have made that a lot easier on him is just kind of firing all the dumb people and then letting him start over
1: yeah yeah I mean a bad apple can spoil the barrel for sure so i See your first point easily. I mean, there's no uh, good point, no, no good reason to keep him around other than unless he, his position is literally to take blame, having the, the whole car packs regime, all the bad apples should be out. How, is that going to happen? Probably not. I guess uh, your boy, the owner, is a little bit too cheap to maybe cancel out their their contracts and, and buy them out right and i didn't really consider that element of what you were saying uh with the cheapness combined with the necessity to hire lots of high quality staff that sounds like the most expensive thing right and so he would have to basically be choosing it's like imagine him as like a like a consumer rather than an owner and the solution to his problem of being a kind of hands-on, but not really too emotionally invested owner of a sports team would be to pay a little bit more to put that business on autopilot. And maybe he sees value in that and he's willing to spend a little bit more to be more hands-off as long as he has guys he trusts in the room.
2: Right. And uh I guess that's what it is, man. Uh, I guess that they still trust john paxson so 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 they want, but they keep saying though they're talking the right ra- they're saying all the right stuff, but i'm I've been conditioned to not believe a single word they say, so it's very tough for me to try to transition here to believing what they're saying because a lot of people online who are celebrating this are buying in hardcore, and I'm unable to buy in right away. I, I've completely buy in that Karnashovis is a good hire. I think that, that I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about him at all. At all, period. So I think that by all accounts he's a good hire. However, I don't know if I don't know what goes into it entirely. You know, they got turned down by a number of people when they first started this, like this got off to a rocky start a few days ago. Do you know about that? No, no. Inform me and the, and the people all about it. Well, they had a list of names and a few of them turned them down. Like the guy from the Raptor said, no Bobby Webster. Uh, The guy, Simon is his last name from the heat. He said, no, like it started off where they were aiming for these certain guys who said no. And then it, I don't know if their team said no or if those individual guys said no. These guys, we're all talking about the second in charge of these teams, which Karnaschovas was in Denver, the second in charge. So they're interviewing all these people from good teams, which is exactly what I would have wanted. Like they did exactly what we wanted, except they didn't do, uh, I don't know, exactly what we asked. Uh, We couldn't have been more clear about, hey, this is what you guys should do. And they just didn't. So it's as long as like you're saying that John Paxson could be there to absorb blame. That's the worst possible scenario. I don't want to feel like I cannot forgive John Paxson for anything. This Karnaschovas, I I, I'm willing to forgive him fucking up for the next year. I don't care. (laughs) like Whatever. (laughs) You know, it's like he's, he's got a long leash in my mind right now, Paxson none. So I really don't want to be feeling like, I think that the worst thing they could do is try to pass it off to fans as, well, all the fuck-ups are still John. It's like, you guys just spent 17 years trying to tell us that John wasn't fucking up, though. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, when you put it that way,
1: that would be quite the pivot from a PR standpoint. (laughs) Uh, Plus, I don't think it's exactly uh, a common tactic to have a, a literal by design fall guy. Uh, well the, who knows? I mean, they, the they Fall guy is the coach.
2: Like I think right now Fall guy is Jim Boylan. Like they were Oh yeah.
1: Well, I mean, rightfully so. He seems like a numbskull as
2: far as I can tell. But he is just a mirror of John Paxson. Like they're the same fucking guy. And that's why it's so funny. Like uh, he they said they talked to John to Jim Boylan the other day and we're asking him if he felt his job was safe and he said he didn't know. But he hoped that he would get a chance to sit down and talk, which is fair. And then he said that no matter what, like he felt good about how he had run the team because John was happy with it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So, so in other words, he's like, you know, if they fired me without even you know putting me face to face about it, I wouldn't be surprised if I found out that I lost my job through Twitter. But you put me in the room with John, I might be able to convince him to let me stay. (laughs) Exactly.
2: (laughs) He knows that they they like him, but nobody likes him aside from like the only people who matter. And that's why his whole performance, everything Jim Boylan does is for an audience of, you know, one or two people.
1: Right, right. He's putting on a show with the whole drill sergeant routine. He's a I mean, I don't idiot, think right? I've ever seen an NBA coach in my lifetime, like, try so visibly hard to come off as, like, a hard-ass type coach. You know what I mean? Like, it's so old school. I've, it seems beyond me, you know? I like, just, oh, why man. would he do that? <laughs>
2: Well, Uh, he He seems like he doesn't
1: understand the social dynamics of it, like to a borderline concerning point. (laughs) Like you don't understand that these guys have been on top of the world their entire fucking life, and then they step into the NBA, and like only then does it get truly competitive most of the time. Like no one's going to be able to tell Zach Levine that, you know, he's trash. Not, Not his head coach, nobody. So to come in and try to crack down on him, and play the tough guy routine as if he has more pull in the organization than the best guy on the team or whatever. It, it seems absurd. But maybe that's just a testimony to how comfortable he is slash was with
2: ownership and, the, and management. It is, but also you've got to the, – the weird thing about this is, man, Jim Boylan is like a basketball lifer, and he has worked for some great coaches. So for him to have so little grasp on how to run a team – is just kind of dumbfounding. Like he's really learned from some of the best coaches in the league. So how can he be so bad at this? But he had this same situation. This is all very predictable. So obviously people probably think pretty highly of Jim Boylan in the NBA before now because he kept getting jobs, but he was the head coach at Utah, uh, the college. And Mm -hmm. it was basically went down just like this bull thing. Like the story is the same, huh. and he eventually you know that. I was fired. not
1: aware of that. I, I never uh, really read into Jim Boylan's story. I suppose that could be a a good little little video idea. Uh, let Let me do some mid show plugs right quick. Uh, you could follow Chris on Twitter uh, at Chris Hessian, but more importantly, subscribe to him on Twitch where he streams classic NBA games on the regular uh, uh, at Snooze Fighting. Right? That's that's what it is?
2: Yeah, twitch.tv slash Newsfighting.
1: Yeah, awesome. You can follow me on Twitter at NBA underscore Rudy, of course. And subscribe to YouTube to search Hustle Points. Uh, rate the show five stars, all that. Now that, now, now that that's done, you know, the, the ad is over. Put in the work for the day. Uh, wh- what do you think about Jim Boylan in terms of, like, strategy? Because I feel like that's the thing that pisses people off most is just what you see on the floor like he doesn't use timeouts well he doesn't run a good offense and even his defensive schemes are questionable like i've never heard a good thing about jim boylan <laughs> what do you think about jim boylan if he sticks around is that going to upset you to the degree of Paxson sticking around or is uh it really not matter to you
2: that much is he a sufficient fall guy oh it would be uh ultimate strike against uh, Karnachovas, if Jim Boylan is still the coach when they play their next game, like that—that's just okay. unacceptable. Uh, I honestly, I've never been really hating on Jim Boylan that hard because it's like, of course he sucks. What do you, I don't know, of course he sucks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Like he's an extension <laughs> of John Paxson. Of course he sucks. He's not the problem. He's just the extension of the problem. So Right. He's he's a symptom, not not
1: the disease itself.
2: Right. There you go. Right. He's just part of the – he's just the symptom. Of course, they had – they hired Tom Thibodeau as a first-time head coach in the NBA, and that turned out to be a brilliant head coaching hire. Like, that just worked out for them, and – then that we knew about, I don't know if you know the story behind the end of Tom Thibodeau in the Chicago Bulls, but it's really bad. And that is actually mm-hmm. the truth with everyone who ever leaves the Bulls. It's always mm-hmm. a bad breakup with the Bulls. So we'll break down the, the Thibodeau breakup for, uh, for me and the audience right quick. So Tom Thibodeau became the coach in whatever, 2010, 2011. He won head coach of the year that year. They won 62 games. Derrick Rose won the MVP. Like, that is one of the really great accomplishments the Bulls have had in the last, you know, really forever. And then the year came around, what was it, 2014-15, where the team was still pretty good. I mean, you remember that was the team where they went to the second round and really almost beat the Cavaliers in the second round. And that was Thibodeau's last Mm -hmm. year. But from the start of the season, we already knew that it was Thibodeau's last year. Pretty much. They were not, Mm -hmm. they, they turned the city against Tom Thibodeau and successfully did it too, where they really tried to blame him for all the things that had gone wrong. And if you know what has happened in the NBA over the last several years, what went wrong is Derek Rose got hurt, sure, and they're always going to use that excuse until now, hopefully they won't be able to. But that was a problem, but also their problem is that they can't get anybody to come and play for their team who they didn't draft. And when you're a middle-of-the-pack playoff team, you can't really get great draft picks, so their team was stuck. And they're getting hurt every year and they're underachieving in, in a way every year because their roster looks better than their results. They really blamed Tom Thibodeau and turned him into the bad guy publicly when he was still just doing what he did. He was being himself and there was nothing different about it. But they, uh, there's so many little stories packed into this that it's dirty. The way they did him was really dirty. Mm-hmm.
1: what's their motivation for for turning the city of chicago against him i mean i can see why it's easy to do with just it's just anyone a scapegoat can go to basketball there. reference and see that luau dang is playing 40 minutes a game or whatever you know well uh, so, i mean i, mean, they... I should suppose that helps it's it makes it easier but right. i'm a little lost on just why they would want to do that just to make it make it excusable to release a guy so closely associated with the best thing
2: in the Paxson era or the Gar Pax era, I should say. Basically, Tom Thibodeau is the second best coach in Bulls history. So it they did very quickly turn everybody against him by making it seem like it was his fault what had gone down. And I guess that that was their way of getting back at him because he was not going to go with their shit. And that's really what it came down to was Thibodeau was going to be himself and he wanted control over what he should have had control over. But they had all these things going on because that year they had Derrick Rose on a minutes restriction. They had Joakim Noah on a minutes restriction. And there's all these different people within the team and Trainers the Bulls players had gotten Derek Rose did not trust the Bulls trainers so he had his own trainer and his own trainer is deciding how many minutes he's going to play and the front office the coach and Derek Rose and Joe Kim Noah and other people all have a different opinion on why things are the way they are and the way they should be and you can't blame they sure as hell did a great job of making Derrick Rose look like an asshole over and over too. But in this case, I guess the easiest thing to do was to get rid of Thibodeau. And instead of just getting rid of him after they, you know, lost in game six of the second round, they planted the seed way sooner. So it was a done deal by then. And I was for most of the year, and maybe I was wrong, but I was on the side of, don't fire Thibodeau. Are you crazy? What, what else are you going to do? Well, and the the rumor was, and it turned out to be true, was that Fred Hoiberg was the next guy. I would never, I knew Fred Hoiberg played in the NBA. He played for the Bulls. But I did not even honestly know that he coached. I didn't know anything about him. But Gar Foreman has a close relationship with uh, Iowa State. And that's where he was the coach. So it was like, oh, Gar's buddy is going to be the next coach. And in order to justify that, they had to just kind of plant the seed that Thibodeau's was a problem. And that's how it happened. You know, they, they got rid of Thibodeau. I, by the end of the season, after that game six, I don't know if you remember that. You, I'm sure you remember whatever it was, game three or four, game four whatever game 3 that that, that Derrick Rose hit that shot that's the memorable moment but the next game game 4 when the Bulls were up with no time left almost and LeBron hit this insane shot that saved their season and really you know it was a legendary shot i think a lot of people forget about it but it was incredible shot that he made that let them stay in the series and kept them from going down 3 1. And then they came back and won the next two games. The Cavaliers did. And in game six, it was so bad. It was like an extreme blowout. And the players clearly quit by the end. Every player on the floor had quit on Thibodeau and on each other. And after that, it was like, all right, he's got to go. I think that it was pretty easy for everybody to see like, all right, if that's going to happen, nobody cares about him. And I'm sure that the way that the front office had handled it all season helped put that idea in the players' minds too, though. It wasn't just the fans. Everybody was turning against Tom Thibodeau, but it all started from Paxson and Foreman. And then they bring in their boy Hoiberg, and that really didn't turn out very well. And then they fire Hoiberg with really no reason it's just like, there's always got to be a scapegoat, you know, that their rebuild wasn't going well. So bring on the next guy.
1: Right. I, I can remember the vibe being that everyone was against Thibodeau. I can remember being uh, a victim of that PR campaign to get <laughs> Tom Thibodeau out and have everyone turn against him. Because I can remember feeling that way. Like it was his time. and was, He was right. bound to go. Uh, but I also remember kind of feeling that way about Hoiberg. Perhaps this—I'm—I'm—it's uh, I'm <laughs> either that the uh, Garpacks and Chicago ownership propaganda is stronger than I've previously recognized, or I am more susceptible to propaganda in general <laughs> than I've
2: previously recognized. I don't <laughs> think both. so, man. Uh, I think that Hoiberg was a pretty obvious one. Like, he wasn't good. They weren't winning. With Thibodeau, they were still winning games. Was their championship window open? No. But uh, they were much, they were good. You know, they were like the fourth seed that year or something. Like, they were pretty good that year, his last year. And they made it to the second round of the playoffs. I consider that a little bit of an overachievement. I know that there's a lot of revisionist history on that series, and people act like if LeBron didn't make that shot, the Bulls would have won, and then the Bulls would have gone on and beat Atlanta in the next series, and then the Bulls, shit, maybe they would have beat Golden State. Like, No, they wouldn't have, man. Come on. I know there's a lot no of chance. Bulls fans who push that, but that's fucking stupid. Like I don't even if LeBron didn't make that shot, I kind of think they come back from three-one and win. Like that Bulls team just wasn't <laughs> that good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Bulls
1: in their heyday, when Tom Thibodeau's defense was still revolutionary, and Joe Kim and Derek and arguably Carlos Boozer were all still in their peaks. Luol Deng wasn't just a fat contract with a ton of minutes. Uh, the Bulls were elite, but no, you're you're definitely right. Towards the end, they were not during a they were, It was not a championship window anymore. With that being said, I, I'm not one to think that championship or bust is the right mentality. Uh, I used to be, quite frankly. Uh, you know, when Philadelphia decided to tank, I was super excited that someone was just being honest about what the fuck they were doing in the front office for once. Uh, And then when they pulled the plug on the tank a year or two early, uh, I was very upset. Uh, Shout out to the Chicago family, uh, the Colangelo's. (laughs) Uh, Isn't it funny that Brian Colangelo got an interview? Uh, uh, This is coming straight from Cookies Hoops, uh, who ironically am wearing their fucking shirt right now. (laughs) Uh, But it's just it's so funny that Colangelo got an interview. I'm going to put interview in air quotes. Uh, an yeah. interview, <laughs> uh, probably because uh, his dad has just been retired and chilling in Chicago for a year, bumping elbows with the guys in the front office and the ownership and whatnot. And be like, hey, can you give my son an interview? You know, just to <laughs> bring up his name and relevance. Because there was no reason on this planet that anyone would interview Brian Colangelo at all. No reason. It must have been Jerry. It has to have been. Uh, Between uh, the burner accounts and just his track record in Philly, no one with a good brain would even consider Brian Colangelo.
2: (laughs) I think they had already zeroed in on their target and they were just throwing out names, but they picked really bad names to throw out there. Like, oh, by the way, we interviewed Colangelo and Danny Ferry. It's like, man, why didn't you guys just interview (laughs) somebody? If if you were going to interview people you weren't going to pick, why didn't you interview better people than that? It's like they out they they like outmaneuvered themselves there thinking that they were going to be smart and throw out more names and then I don't know that's so stupid. I don't get it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe they um uh, maybe they just wanted to make art look good by comparison uh to a Michelangelo.
2: Oh, that's good. That's yeah, maybe. Maybe. So you're saying that you don't think that the championship thing, you think they were in a better spot then even though they were Than they are now. Well,
1: yeah. I would even say now or any time in between. Then I well,
2: like. Eh, I'm not sure, man. I'm not sure. Like
1: you're obviously more attuned uh, to the the Bulls' beat historically, uh, recently, old, old school, everything you know. But just from my perspective, I see that as like the end of the last time the Bulls were even kind of successful. Ever since then, they've been like. One of the bad franchises, you know, like one that could be a punchline, not on like a Cleveland level, not on a uh, on a Kangs or Knicks level, but getting there.
2: And oh, I think they're on Knicks level by now.
1: <laughs> well, maybe maybe not today, but a week ago. Yeah,
2: yeah, a week ago. <laughs> um, but I think that but I I, that mean, I don't said, know, man. It's like they. I just I don't know. I just want to say it's important. To
1: not be super all or nothing on the idea of, like, be a championship team or tanking, (laughs) you know? It's okay to be, like, a team that is still good that was once a championship-caliber team and is, like, projecting to fall off. Like, that's not a horrible position to be in because you still have assets, though diminishing, that have value that you should maximize. The thing about being a good front office is about maximizing the value of your assets, right? And so if you're super eager to pull the plug and to give away Derek Rose to New York for nothing, then you're going to fuck up and be a bad team for longer than you need to be. Like the Grizzlies got super lucky when we decided to pull the plug and uh, demote Chris Wallace and uh, say, okay, the grit and grind era is absolutely over. These last two years have been like fumbly and weird where we tried to do what we can with what we have. But now we are going young point blank period. And we just happened to get the right young guys who would contribute right away. You know, we happened to get a coach that was good. Like right. everything just happened to work out. But we managed to do that because of the way that we handled all of our assets on the way out of our window of being a good respectable team, we turned Mike Conley into virtually infinite assets, and he's basically shitty <laughs> this season. You right. know, I hope him the best, but he's proven to be on his way down in his career. Uh, we traded Mark, uh, though not for much. Uh, Valanchunas is good. Uh, Delon Wright walked away, and we used his uh, salary cap uh, or his salary slot to sign Tyus Jones, as far as I understand it. Uh, we've done a lot with the diminishing assets. And so when you pull the plug, as far as I see it, like the Bulls did, you're asking for failure.
2: Okay. I'm not sure that that characterizes exactly what happened, though. I think that, you know, they were... I don't know. They traded Rose, but they kept their best player.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: I just... I'm having trouble... Because, again, I'm
1: not nearly as familiar, A, as I should be, or B, uh, as you are, but I'm having trouble even thinking of what the asset package out of any of what came from the, the Thibodeau era, you know? Like, what did they get back for Derek Rose? I honestly couldn't tell you. It was Robin they Lopez.
2: <laughs> they based, No, really, they weren't getting anything back for Rose. The idea was they were getting the cap space.
1: Yeah. 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 I mean, cap space has value. Cap space has value, especially when you're a team like Chicago. And that's what New York did with Porzingis. They basically traded him for half space. And, but the thing and is they you failed. need a smart organization to utilize cap space.
2: Yeah. They failed. I mean, I know what they were trying to do, but they were banking on something that didn't happen. Yeah.
1: Uh, the, you the think bulls, they're, uh, they're, poising to get Giannis.
2: The bulls. In 2021.
1: The, well, sure. The Knicks definitely are. But the Bulls, do you think that they're they're positioning themselves to to land Giannis in twenty twenty one That's the thing I've seen more than anything. That's uh, also just a, a big fat rusty buckets take. Shout out to Jacob.
2: Oh uh, well, <laughs> and I I kind of hope they aren't trying to do that. Like that that's a shot in the dark to the point, man, he would be dumb to do that. (laughs) For Giannis' sake, I hope he doesn't do that. I've been saying that about players for such a long time now too. Like, man, I I like watching that guy. I hope he doesn't go to Chicago.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I suppose it's a lot easier and uh, more predictable to build a team with a lot of different moving parts and exercise your control where you have it rather than banking on a dice roll that you can convince Giannis to leave Milwaukee versus Chicago. Well, we've had this problem now
2: where Paxson and Foreman were always trying to justify, after the Rose trade, when they opened up cap space, got rid of Noah, these contracts that they had that they rightfully gave. They, they were paying those guys fairly, but quickly that became a bad contract. And it's not like giving those guys—I'm not going to hate on them for giving those contracts to those guys. That Rose contract, he earned every cent of it. That was the smartest contract they ever gave. Like, of course you're going to do that. He just won the MVP. Pay him as much as you can pay him. It just didn't work out. But then they got rid of him, and then the whole idea was they were rolling over their flexibility. The word was always flexibility. Flexibility. And it was like, John, why haven't you done this? Oh, we're just trying to maintain our flexibility for next summer. you know. And then there would always be that big summer, like the year that 2017 or whatever the last year was, the 2019, right? Those two summers were so big, and they completely failed in both cases. So the whole idea of like, oh, let's have all this flexibility just seems like a joke to me, and I wish that they... And then after last year, they actually moved away from that and admitted quietly that that wasn't possible for them. And that's why they have no flexibility right now, because they decided that they were going to take Otto Porter to get out of their dumbass Jabari Parker contract. And by trading for Otto Porter was kind of like punting, like, okay, we don't have flexibility now. But they will have flexibility in 2021, and I hope that that's part of what made Karnaschovas want to come to Chicago, is because it's only temporary that they have no flexibility, and they have all of their draft picks for in the first round. And maybe not every job that he's ever been asked to interview for actually had that kind of opportunity. Seems like the Bulls are still in spot where they don't, they've got, I like to I know that a lot of Bulls fans are, hate this idea, but I'm not attached to any of these players. So if you could put together all of them, I don't care, any combination of them, and trade for somebody really good, then do it. Like the the Lakers just, I have Lakers fans' friends who are like, no, we don't need to trade for Davis. We get rid of all our good players when Davis will just come here next year. But then they traded for him, and obviously it was the right move to do, right?
1: Yeah. Obviously, it's like, like the the one absolutely redeemable trait of Jeannie Bus's tenure at the Lakers is that she traded for Anthony Davis wasn't uh too proud to trade away literally everything but kuzma
2: right I mean they're they are apparently a little too proud to trade away Kuzma, but they they i guess for some strange reason, Jeannie Bus really loves Kyle Kuzma. He's
1: just so handsome
2: he's just so <laughs>
1: handsome but i he's so I handsome, would be he, thinks open. he can pull off that hair.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would be open to that for the Bulls if it ever became possible. I feel like they have built a roster that's not going to win, but they actually, there's a lot of teams looking around right now, I'm sure, who are like, man, Lowry marketing could be really good. And I just... Yeah, I was like,
1: oh, man, I could, I could drop a first-round pick for a Chris Dunn in an RFA sign-and-trade type situation.
2: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know about Chris Dunn, but I think that... Lowry Markin is probably a pretty attractive asset for other teams right now. Cause you'd think, Oh wait, he was coached by Boylan. No, he could be really good. I, I personally don't necessarily believe that like Lowry in Yeah. his. I mean, jumps- he had a month
1: where he averaged like 27 and 10 in February of last year. If I'm yeah. Not
2: they played 10 games, Rudy <laughs>
1: still. I mean a 10 game flash is a pretty big flash.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that, I mean, those literally 10 games, and they lost five of them.
1: Hey, so, I mean, 500 is an upgrade, man.
2: It's, <laughs> I mean, people blow that out. Like, I've heard people describe that particular month as if it was like they were championships or something. It's like, man, they, they went five yeah, and I mean, five. I'm, I'm passively aware of it. I'm not even like a Chicago guy. You know what I mean? I know, right? <laughs> Right. Like everybody knows that, Oh, they were really good in February. It's like, wait, how really good. Oh, they went 500. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right. And, well, uh we just crossed the, uh the hour mark. So I, um I got to kind of wrap this up just a little bit. Do you have any, uh, any final remarks, things that you just like absolutely have to get off your chest regarding the post uh, office? I feel like we've covered a lot of bases, but do you have anything else that you must say? Please go off game.
2: No, I don't. I, I'm trying to now move forward with the idea that I want the Bulls to win. I've been actively hoping that they lose every game by 30 for the last two and a half years, three years. I don't know how long. I really wanted them to lose all the time because I just wanted Paxson to get fired. And that didn't happen. But the next best thing, I guess, happened. And it sounds like this could really be good. So I'm trying to be open to it as much as I'm hesitant because they've only ever fucked me over and over. So I care a lot about this, but I have detached myself to a certain level of apathy over the last several years. And I feel like now though, Hey, maybe, maybe something really good can happen here. Hopefully that hopefully he can come in here and not be holding to any of the shit that they've done. Like I don't, I hope that a lot of fans are attached to these players and I really hope that they aren't passing that on to Karnasovas. I hope that he's able to start over in any way he wants. If he thinks that, you know, keeping one of these guys or all of them makes sense, then I question that. But at the same time, whatever. I hope that he actually has complete control over all of this. If he does, then... I am willing to give him kind of a long leash. Uh, We've been trained here to really have a high tolerance for bullshit.
1: Yeah, that that makes sense. And excellent wordplay there
2: at the end. I love a good, a good pun. (laughs) So I just, yeah, I'm hopeful on it. I think that Bulls fans are rightfully really excited about this. It, It is unprecedented in the bulls history that something like this happens. Maybe it's not perfect, but it's definitely a big step forward in a way that I feel like would seemed impossible a year ago.
1: Yeah. Well, if you are even a little bit optimistic, that is a, that is a really good sign. I think, I, I know we still have the, uh, a little bit of Garpak's uh, poison in the well, just a little bit. But the fact that you are in any way optimistic leads me to believe that any Bulls fan should be optimistic. That's right.
2: Yeah, if, You if, have
1: been historically pessimistic as far if as I, I can understand be Every conversation we've had regarding the Bulls. If I can be positive about this,
2: then other people are going to be elated, crazy positive about it. So, uh, yeah, I actually want to see them win games, but I'd also really like to see a move made quickly that would that would please me a lot if something significant were to happen not just firing Jim Boylan anybody would fire Jim Boylan I want to see something Mm -hmm. more significant happen because that would if he did something that the Bulls would never do then that would be like a sign to me that like oh he actually has control over this all right
1: quick uh a quick close-ended question here so it'd be a fun little punctuation point on the recording I, I just want to cap it off here With like no outro or anything How many first round picks Would it take to trade Zach Levine And for you to be happy
2: Damn it I said Levine Every time <laughs> So w- wait How many first round picks Would I be happy to get In exchange for Zach Levine mm-hmm. Half of one
0: I want to take a little peek Underneath and in your a page Slip my hand, slip my finger inside, fill your Twitter page. Uh, I wanna put my mouth on it, suck real good on your Twitter page. Uh, I wanna swallow that juice, feel good in my throat with your Twitter page. I'm taking a break, okay? I'm taking a break.